Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. given abilities by the Holy Spirit to bless the body of Christ, to build the body of Christ, right? The scripture would say to edify. Now, one of the things we talked about last week kind of at the end that I just want to address again is is why, why a series on the spiritual gifts? Like, why does this really matter? And I feel like the Lord gave me just kind of four things on my heart that they've just been resonating with me. And it's these ideas that life is too hard, this moment's too big, Our enemy's too real and God's plan is too good to live with less than the inheritance that God promises those who have been saved and filled by him, right? Now, now there might have been seasons of time where the church could survive, right, without the gifts of the Spirit operating, but I I don't know if you guys have read the news lately. I don't know if you've been out in the world lately, but uh, our world is steadily, day by day, week by week, it feels like it's turning upside down. And it feels like we need a fresh outpouring of power, right? Because Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power, That's what the kingdom of God is. And what did Jesus come preaching? He didn't just come preaching the gospel of salvation. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And if he came to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God and you're supposed to accept it, that means you're also supposed to accept accept that this gospel of the kingdom is about his power, not about your power, but his power poured out. C.S. Lewis said it this way, he says, the mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity is a mind and process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion, right? But we've seen probably in the last 200 years, especially in Western culture, especially through the enlightenment, through rationalism, this steady decline into a Christianity without the miracles, right? So Thomas Jefferson was really famous for taking his Bible and he took scissors and he cut out every instance of the miraculous. And in that moment, he basically made up his own religion. It wasn't Christianity anymore, it wasn't Jesus, it was his version of what was acceptable to his mind. And he was relapsing (laughs) into religion. Now, I want to address this uh, uh, this morning because we're going to be talking about the manifestation gifts, right? Which can be interesting, that can be scary. If you're here for graduation Sunday, congrats. You came here on a really fun Sunday. Should be really interesting for you. Um, but we're going to talk about this word cessationism. What is cessationism? Cessationism is a philosophy that the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all the miraculous powers of Jesus and the early apostles went away after the age of the apostles. Right, and now all we need is God's word and, and a lot of guts, right, to live for him. Um, 
cessationism, it's all those things ceased after the ministry of, uh, of the apostles, the apostolic age. There's so many problems with this philosophy, chief of which I think, or maybe not chief of which, I've got so many problems with it, but let, let me just name a few. One is if you took someone who had never heard who Jesus was, what the church was, about the Bible, anything like that, they came to know Christ, you locked them in the closet with just the word of God in themselves, they would never walk out of that closet having read the whole thing, believing this kind of idea. You would never read the Bible and think, oh, it's just clear that this is over after the apostles went away. You have to be taught that. Right? Somebody has to intervene at some point between you and the revelation of God's word and say, no, 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 not anymore. This is, this is the way to see this. And it reminds me of Jesus, his woe to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you Pharisees. You tie up heavy loads on other people's backs and you don't even lift a finger to help them. Trying to be a Christian without the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit is like tying a heavy load on your back and just trying to do it. Just trying to, all right, God, I'm just going to gut it out for you. It's not what he intended. It's not what he planned. It's not what his word says. And there's, there's kind of two different forms of, of cessationism, right? There's the formal, which I actually have thought through this. I believe it. I, I've uh, read all the lectures. Somebody taught me this. And then there's the functional cessationism, which is like, I kind of believe it. I know that's probably true. I know God has power, but I'm just going to live in the normal. I'm going to live in the natural. I'm, I'm going to lower my expectations of God. And I'm just going to be like, all right, God, if I can just have a family and have a job and own a home and retire someday and just do all these things and be a good, good guy, if I can tithe, if I can lead a class, that's enough. And again, there's worse things you could do with your life than do that. And yet, the Father is standing near you saying, there's so much more available to you. Life is so much better with me. You know, then you have just the basic uh, ideas of how these gifts worked out, right? That cessationism is just proven wrong, uh, like from the very beginning. You have Christians in Rome and Samaria and Caesarea and Antioch and Ephesus and Thessalonica and Galatia that experienced the miraculous and revelatory gifts. They're experiencing these things, and Paul is writing to them about their experiences that he wasn't there for. There was no apostle in this church performing these things. It was regular, ordinary, mostly poor, mostly powerless people receiving the power of God to see these things happen. Right? Then you have all these examples, right? You have, you have uh, people other than the apostles who practice these gifts. You have the 70, right? You have at least 108 of the 120 in the upper room. We know there's even more. You have Philip, Ananias, church members in Antioch, right? So there's so much there that it's just pretty easy to disprove that. But then you also have church history. You have uh, Irenaeus in AD 130, right? Which is about 100 years after Jesus saying, others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Others still heal the sick by laying on their hands and they're made whole. They're seeing these gifts still in the church 100 years later. St. Augustine even witness to this in uh, about 300 AD, where he changed his mind. He, he changed his mind over the course of his life because he just saw too much real evidence in life that God's power was pouring out in the church for healing and wonders and signs. And he says there, he says, it's so numerous, even in these times, that we cannot know all of them or enumerate those who know. You have Cyprian, and what you see is you see a movement in church history away from this. 
And this is the danger, and this is what our culture right now, Western culture is grappling with, is you can lose knowledge. You can lose your inheritance, right? You can go from knowing certain things to not knowing them anymore, and then somebody 100 years ago will rediscover and be like, how in the world did they lose that? What happened with Cyprian? There was this gradual disappearance of the charismata, the gifts from the life of the church. He, among others, insisted that only the bishop and the priest of the church could exercise those gifts. They moved it from the priesthood of all believers, right? The Holy Spirit living and dwelling in each one of us to only the, the called out ones who get paid to do ministry are allowed to exercise these gifts. And then you know what happened? They got so busy running the church, they just forgot about them. And what we read in the scripture about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit can be grieved, he can be quenched, he can be offended, you can sin against the Holy Spirit, and when you do that, he just does this. He just says, okay, you know, like I'm not going to force this on you, I'm not going to do anything, like if you don't want it, that's okay, I'll just back up. D.A. Carson said it this way, the coming of the Spirit is not associated merely with the dawning, right, the beginning of the new age, but with its presence, its ongoing presence, not merely with Pentecost, but with the entire period from Pentecost to the return of Jesus the Messiah. So what we know is we know in Romans, or in 1 Corinthians 13 that prophecies and tongues will pass away. When? When Jesus returns. So until then, Paul expected the gifts to operate in the believers, in the body, where people who know the Holy Spirit have cultivated intimacy with him. He expected the gifts to last. Then you have 1 Corinthians 2. So he says, For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Listen to this. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. Paul ties the faithfulness of God to the outpouring of the Spirit in the body of Christ. And so can I ask you a question this, this, this morning? Did God promise the Corinthian church more than he promised us? Did he promise them more than us? I, I don't believe that. I, I think every promise made to every church across the history of the church is ours in Jesus. Because Paul says, he says, every spiritual blessing in Christ is yours. <laughs> it's yours. I think we have the same promise. I think the church is supposed to operate in this naturally supernatural. Right? So what happens, most of us, we've probably had an encounter with, with weird expressions of spiritual gifts or of environments that felt out of control or they felt like they glorified individuals or leaders or, um, you know, just, you, 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 you got in some weird situations, right? And I won't have you raise your hand because there'll probably be a lot of us. Um, I have, right? And yet... The promise is that the church would be this place where the supernatural naturally happens in and around and through us. It's just assumed. So Paul says, when you gather, someone have a revelation, a prophecy, a tongue, an interpretation. I mean, he's just like, when you're together, these are the things that happens when people who love Jesus are filled with the Spirit and love each other in community. This is what happens. He does these kinds of things. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to dig into this. I, I'm going to say just a bunch of real quick qualifiers, right? Because I know many people right now are going, yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Right? It's like one word now. Yeah, but. Have you thought about this? I have. I promise you. And, and I love that you have too, 
right? And so, so let's just try to get some of those out of the way. One, the gifts don't replace servanthood. So if you've encountered somebody who uses their gift to excuse them from serving, you've met somebody who's in the wrong order <laughs> in their life. Gifts don't excuse servanthood. They don't teach doctrine or contradict it, right? So, so the, the, the point is not to teach you something, and so we, we got to get out of our brain a little bit, but they also shouldn't contradict. If you see somebody exercising their gift in a way that contradicts the doctrine, the historic doctrine of the church, they're wrong, Right? And it should be confronted, and we should talk about it. Um, the gifts don't subvert leadership. If you think my gifting gives me the right to go over the top of the person who's leading me in the church because I'm spiritual and I have a gift, you're wrong. It's just, it's just clear. God loves submission. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right? And so our gifts do not remove submission to authority in our lives. If your gifts makes you dishonor your parents, you're wrong. You're just, you're just wrong, right? You just gotta wait. You gotta listen. <laughs> you gotta pause. And you gotta think about the whole picture. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in my gift that I think my gift is the leading point of my life and it's not. My love of Jesus and obedience to him is the leading factor of my life. My gifts come next. Gifts are not an office, right? Um, I, we could argue about this one a long time, but you know, the, the whole, I'm an apostle, big A, and you should listen to me because I have this positional official authority. I just, I just, I don't know about that. I think it's dangerous. Gifts, gifts don't substitute holiness, right? It's not like, oh, I'm really gifted. So that means I can neglect this other side. And what we're seeing right now in the American church is lots of really gifted leaders who neglected the inner part of their life. And Jesus says, these things that happen in secret, guess what? They're going to be exposed. They don't substitute holiness. It's not gifts instead of fruit. We know that. And they're not a, uh, they're not a substitute for self-denial and discipleship, right? So it's not like, oh, I'm really gifted. So you guys go do the discipleship thing, die to yourself, pick up your cross, all this stuff. I'm really gifted, so it releases me to more important things. I heard one guy say, he's like, I'm an apostle, so I work on the church, not in the church. And I was like... And guess what? That, that guy had a massive fall. You'd know his name, right? So we got to be careful about these things, about how we steward the gifts of the Spirit. Because you notice in 1 Corinthians that one Spirit, same Spirit, Him. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's all about Him. It's not about us. Okay, so let's dig in, right? So now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. These are given for the common good of the body of Christ, Right? All of these are the work of the one and the same spirit he gives to each one just as he determines. And these gifts are a revelation. The word in the Greek is revelation or enlightening. The spiritual gifts, as they are practiced in the church, they reveal an aspect of who God is. They allow us to connect with his power, his character, his beauty, right? Like all that stuff starts to come out, which is why they're called a grace. And I keep saying this. The spiritual gifts, when they're operating in the church, should feel like tangible grace. It should feel like, not like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, what's happening, right? It should, whew. And so, uh, I love the Latin form of this manifestation is literally this word, it talks about the dancing hand. So, I love this. So, so think about the church as we worship, as we love God, as we love each other, this dancing hand of God hovers over the community and he just starts dispensing these gifts, healing, miracles, prophetic words, tongues, mercy, 
leadership. I mean, all these things. He just starts to, as he sees, because he knows your life, he knows everything about it. He knows your past, present, your future. He knows what you're intended for in glory forever. And he's like, oh, in this moment, I'm just going to pour this thing out in your life. And we receive it as grace. So one of the keys here is, is we, we have to make a distinction between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. Both are good, but they're different. And one of the things we've talked a lot in the last few years at Skyline is that we just don't want to settle for the omnipresence of God, right? The omnipresence of God, it's, it's a beautiful philosophy, but it's not enough to live your life for Jesus on, Right? It's biblical, it's real, it's true to God's nature, God's everywhere. But listen to these, these words about it, and this is why I say it's not enough, because it's theoretical. It's abstract. There's no prayer required. You don't have to pray for God to be omnipresent. God just is. It's who he is, and he cannot be otherwise. And you don't need to obey your way into the omnipresence of God. Again, it has nothing to do with you. But look at the manifest presence of God. It's also biblical. It's real, true to God's nature. But God's presence is tangibly perceived. In your senses, you hear and see and feel and touch God in ways that are beyond your normal conception. It's transformational, not theoretical. Right? Normally, there's prayer required. Sometimes God just shows up, but most times he shows up in a place where people are seeking him. They're asking him to show up. It's highly personal. And so, friends, I've watched people struggle for years and years and years in the church because God has not been personal to them. It's like this overarching thing about, oh, God is good, but I don't really, I've never connected if God's good to me. Billy said today, remember his goodness, not just to the body, but to you personally. How has God been good to you? He can manifest his presence in those ways. It's specific, and many times there's obedience required. He's like, now that you've had this, I need you to go and do something with it. I need you to obey me in it. I need you to live in the reality of this thing I've revealed to you, right? All right, so we're going we're gonna to run through this. Are you ready? Nod your head if you're with me. Are you with me? Yeah? Glazed eyes. You Okay. Three kinds of manifestation gifts. You have revelation, power, and speech. Or you could think of it this way. You could think of it as the mind, the hands, and the voice of Jesus. So if we're his body, right, we're his physical representation, then we need to have his mind, we need to have his hands, and we need to have his voice, right, in the body operating. We need to think like him, we need to act like him, and we need to sound like him. What does God sound like? And so here's, here's just a couple of things that I think are true. And again, we could have coffee and argue over this, um, but I think this is true. And I think mostly the manifestation gifts are not permanent. They're not permanent dispensations. And I think where they're made permanent, you get into really dangerous territory where it's not just God used me to work a miracle. I'm a miracle worker. That's what I do. And I go around and I work miracles and I hold conferences and I get on stages. But what happens when there's not a miracle in the room? Do they just go, oh, here's your money back. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no, no. It's like, oh, so we, we got to work harder. We got to stay longer. We got to sing another song. We got to raise the emotional. Pre right? It's like this thing starts to happen where we start to work for these things that God says flow effortlessly when they're gifts. Right? And so we, we've got to say they're non-permanent is what I think, but I think they're available to every single person. Isn't this cool? 
This is one of the coolest things about God. Every single person in this room, God could flow a miracle through. He could give you a different language. He could give you a prophetic word. He could give you a word of wisdom. He could give you discernment over spirits. Every single person in this room, uh, our friend Lance Humphreys calls it basic cable. I love that. Everyone in this room has basic cable. You are connected through salvation, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You're there, right? So the question is like, are you asking? Are you seeking Right? Because if if you're not desiring, again, he's not like, he does it to some people. Paul got it on the road, right? Saul was like, Paul's like, God's like, all right, I'm not waiting on this one for you to desire it. I'm just going to give it to you. And there's people in this room who probably have that experience. Like, I didn't even ask for this gift or want it, and God dispensed it. And yet, so non-permanent, available to all. So let's look through these, right? So the, so the uh, revelation gifts, you have a word of wisdom, which is the supernatural revelation to know the mind of God in a situation or a circumstance. And the way I think about a word of wisdom is, is knowing what to do in a given scenario. That's beyond your um, ability, conception, beyond your intelligence. You just, it's like in a moment, you're like, I mean, it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit light bulb goes up and you're like, I, I know what to do. So Peter with Cornelius, right? Peter has this vision, this dream about the Gentiles, about eating all this stuff. You have this conflict between the Jews and Gentiles. He goes and he meets uh, with Cornelius. They have this amazing thing. And then they go back, right, to the brothers. And they're like, hey, we got to do something about this because everything in our flesh says we should be separate or we should require them to do all these things. And yet in the moment, he gets this word of wisdom that's like, no, no, no. They've received the Holy Spirit. God gave us a dream we have to live into. This, this thing, God gave him wisdom in the moment to know what to do. Uh, this happened with me about four years ago. We had some stuff happening at Skyline that was like, a lot of stuff was going on and I was really confused. And, and I, I remember I was talking to Greg on the phone and I was headed to a men's retreat. And it was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the right thing is to do because there's two groups of people and they both think they're right and all this, you know, all this stuff. And then literally into my mind popped the parable of the weeds. And the parable of the weeds is, is Jesus like, hey, in the, in the middle of the night, the enemy came and sowed weeds into your field. And the, the servant goes, what should I do? Should I pick up the weeds? And he's like, no, 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 you'll pick up the good stuff too. Just let it grow. Literally, his message was do nothing. I've got this. And in the moment, I just got this word of wisdom. And the Lord just literally like, John, don't do anything. Don't do anything. I'll take care of it. And literally, he took care of all of it, resolved all of it. And I did nothing. And it's awesome to do nothing and have something happen. <laughs> Isn't that cool? So great. So many times I try to do something and it, nothing happens. Or worse, something happens. But it's not, it's not good. So that's a word of wisdom, right? A word of knowledge. Sorry, I skipped it. A word of knowledge is a supernatural revelation to have knowledge that would otherwise be unattainable. You, you get something about a situation or a person or something. And that's what I, I, I like to think of this as knowing what's happening. A word of knowledge is like knowing what's happening in a place or with a person or in a situation that, again, you're like, there's no way I could have known this. Um, when you get a prophetic word or a word of knowledge, sometimes you hear this statement a lot. They're like, it's like they read my mail because there's no way they could have known that thing. I hadn't told anybody. I hadn't shared this. Not even a prayer request. And this person came up and just, just gave me this thing to know what was happening. In Acts 9, right, Saul's on the road. He gets struck blind, has this vision. He goes to this place. God sends another person with a, with a, uh, a vision and says, go talk to him. And I love this story because when he starts to speak to Saul, it says this really cool thing. It says, as he was speaking, something like scales came off of his eyes. 
So you know you've gotten a word of knowledge from somebody when they tell you something or they pray over you and you're literally like, it's like something happened and I saw that person or that situation or myself in a way that I've never done before and I couldn't have accomplished on my own. It took another person speaking. That's a word of knowledge. The gift of discernment. Um, It's a supernatural ability to discern between the power of the Holy Spirit and a counterfeit spirit, right? And so Paul says this, he says, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And so Paul is operating in the discernment of spirits inside the church in ways that other people weren't discerning. They're like, no, 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 these people are super apostles. (laughs) They're amazing. I mean, he says, all these people have gone after them, yet Paul could see, Mm mm-mm. No, there's a different spirit in that. There's a spirit of selfishness or greed or pride. It's not of Jesus. He had to discern. And so what we know, in this world, we are in a, we're in the middle of a cosmic battle where there is a battle between good and evil, between Satan and Jesus, and we get put into the middle of it to discern through the power of the Spirit what's happening in the church, in our family, in your workplace. You might just get a discernment about a spirit that's like, man, something like your antenna, woo, they're going like this. You're like, something's happening here beyond what the eye can see. And Jesus is like, he's giving me discernment to not trust. How many of you in business have had a point where you just didn't know why you didn't trust that person, but you didn't? <laughs> and maybe all this stuff was about to happen. You're like, no, 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 I don't know about that person. I don't know about that guy, that girl. And you stop and then something bad happens. And you're like, whoa. What was, I just like, man, it was just a feeling. And we described it as my gut. I just, ah, and you're like, it's not your gut. Your gut doesn't have any power in it. It's Jesus who lives in you, right? Who's giving you discernment. Um, that's revelation gifts. Then you have gifts of power, right? Um, faith. The gift of faith is a supernatural ability to trust God or to inspire trust in God for a particular need or circumstance. So this is different than just being a positive thinker being an optimist. This is where you believe something that nobody else believes. And I'm not going to call them out, but I'm looking at somebody who's like, you, you believe, you're like, nobody else believes this is going to work. And you're like, by faith in God, right? Noah's building that ark. He's like, I don't care what you think, what you say, what you do to me. I have faith in God, right? Jesus says this, he says, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. You have the working of miracles, which is the supernatural intervention of God that transcends the natural process in a situation through or with a human vessel. So Paul's talking to the Galatians. He says, again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you've heard? So there's clearly miracles happening in this little church in Galatia. Things that were unexplainable except by the power of God. And this is where some of these things, uh, friends, are going to get fuzzy. And I, and I think I don't like to spend too much time on the details between, well, was that a miracle or was that a healing? And I just say, yes, I don't... <laughs> I don't, I don't split hairs on these things. And yet, there's miracles that you know have happened in your life where you're like, and, and, and this happens in relationships where you're like, that person turned toward me and forgave me in a way that defies every natural thought. And it happened like that. It was like God did something in them and they just, they just changed, right? 
somebody's addicted to a substance and this doesn't always happen and yet God reveals himself to them and their life's just different person overnight. Different actions, different heart, different personality. You're like, wow, that person's just different. A miracle happened. Then there's gifts of healing. The gifts of very, uh, can I just say too, we're going to do a week on each of these topics at some point. So I'm running through these just to like, to, to get the, through them. <laughs> gifts of healing, various forms of supernatural cure or restoration from illness, diseases, injuries, and other impairments. And this can happen in multiple ways. This can happen through you praying and asking God, he can heal you. This can happen through the laying on of hands. This can happen in random, my grandpa uh, was preaching. He really like got in contact with the Holy Spirit in the 1960s and 70s. And he would have people healed while he preached. He had a man who was born blind, received his sight in the middle of a sermon. Whew. That's pretty cool. I'm, I'm like, I'll take that, Lord. Anybody? Right now? No, no. All right. You never know. You never know. You have Jesus doing this. You have the apostles doing this. You have this happening in the churches. And then last but not least, you have the speech gifts. Um, you have tongues. I don't know. You have any opinions on that? Anybody? Supernatural ability to speak in another or heavenly language not known or learned by the speaker. And this is weird because it is the least of the gifts, Paul says, and yet it's the most controversial. Which makes me wonder, if I'm making something more important than God is making it, am I living in the spirit or in the flesh? Right? If God says, this is the least one, don't even worry about this one. And also, it's, it's basically the easiest one for me to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's not that difficult. Like, we believe that God literally goes into our spirits and transforms them and that we're going to raise from the dead one day. Do you think he can give you another language? I think he can, right? And it's fascinating because there's actually been studies, the New York Times, uh, uh, a neuroscientific, what happens in the brain when somebody speaks in tongues? And they literally did these studies of people that their brain, their frontal lobe just kind of shuts down while they speak in tongues. The active brain shuts down and this peace hits people. And it's really fascinating. They did a study of a thousand evangelical Christians in England and said that those who practiced the gift of tongue had almost zero mental health problems and no emotional baggage. Isn't that interesting? I don't know what that means. I just know they studied it and it, was, it, it came out of this study. But here's, here's what I think it means. I think that we live so often through our minds and God many times uses, as Corey Russell would say, he uses the gift of tongues to offend our minds and shut them down so he can get to our heart. So we can hear him, see him, know him in ways that we didn't before. And what's fascinating to me is we live in the most anxious age in the history of mankind. And I just wonder if we're going to see more of this. We've seen it more in this body. And as I said, don't look at your neighbor because it might be them, right? It's like, who is it? Who's got it, right? But it's, it's crazy how God has used in my life worship to heal PTSD. Not heal it completely, but when I'm in his presence, I am never more safe, more comfortable, more joyful, more alive. Because it gets me out of that place in my mind that just does this. And I just, oh. and God does that. Fascinating enough through tongues. But here, listen to what Paul says, if you don't believe me. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. He assumes that this happens where Christians gather. Now, Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues. This is in the Bible, friends. I want you all to speak in tongues. Then he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And he's like, if this were a competition, I'm winning. 
I love that. That's awesome. And then he ends with, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Why? Because it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. If you do that, you'll quench the Holy Spirit and he will do this. And the problem with us is that God has actually bestowed on us a lot of common grace and natural power to where we can get a lot of things done without the Holy Spirit and think it's God. And it's not. It's just us. He made us a little lower than angels. We have power just naturally. And yet, what happens if we join that power with the power of the Holy Spirit? You get a supernatural community that's different than all other communities in the world. You also have interpretation rights, the ability to understand either another or heavenly uh, language and share God's message with others. Paul says that's really important, especially if tongues are spoken publicly in the church, right? Somebody gets on stage, and I, I said before, that's always the number one question. People are like, yeah, but what if somebody stands up and speaks in tongues in the church? And I'm like, do you guys go to a conference or something and hear the same, like, talking point? And I'm like, I would ask for interpretation. If there is none, I'd tell them be quiet and sit down. That's it. So like God gives the church eights. So I'm like, I just, just sit down. Like, that's it. Um, it's not that big a deal. Um, last one, prophecy. Which is supernaturally inspired, but rational ability to discern and declare God's workings in the community and God's will for the church. We see what God's doing through a prophetic word. And it says in 1 Corinthians uh, 14 that, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Isn't that funny? Because I think we think too much about Old Testament prophets when we think about the prophetic gifting. We think like, you know, like, you know, brimstone and hellfire and like, you guys are, you know, Israel stinks and like God's judging you. And yet Paul says, no, no, prophecy in the New Testament through the new covenant is actually spoken to like, get into your heart for God to strengthen, encourage, and comfort you. I don't know about you guys, but I need tons of strengthening, (laughs) encouragement, and comfort in this life. And when the church starts to operate in that, it really is an amazing, amazing place. Wrapping up, 2 Corinthians, when we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. So what happens as the church does this, as the church looks at Jesus, worships Jesus, glorifies Jesus, as Jesus pours out his spirit on the church, we start to be transformed. And we move from effort to imitate Jesus to being transformed to be like Jesus. Like we're, like we're becoming him. We actually become Christ-like, his life through us. Transformation is the goal. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up. And I think this is really important in an age um, but I think there's so many people who don't believe in God. Not only that, they're hostile to this idea. But I think God gave the Holy Spirit to the church and he gave the gifts to the church so that the presence and power of God in a community will be our main apologetic in the church. It, the main defense of who God is is his presence here. Moses says this to God. He says, if you do not go with us, we will not go because it's your presence that sets us apart from all peoples. It's not your laws, it's not our morality, it's not how awesome we are, it's literally the fact that you go with us by day and by night. (laughs) That's what sets us apart from all other people. So here's what I, I like to think of it. Inside the church, the spiritual gifts are the apologetic. Outside the church, the fruits of the spirit are the apologetic. Live such good lives among the pagans. That's what Peter says. 
that they will like be convicted in the heart and praise your father in heaven. And what will happen, Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 14, is that as people come among us and they see the power and presence of God, they will say, surely God is among them. That's what people should say when they walk into a church. When they walk into a Friday night gathering around your table with Christian friends, when a non-Christian enters that table, they should walk away that night and I go like, something's different about those people. I don't know what, I, I can't explain it, but it's real. So wrapping up, what's blocking this power from pouring out in our churches? I just made a little, little list. These are things, and, and maybe you might identify something in your life in this way. Apathy. You just get to the point where you're just kind of like, I've been in church all my life. I know all this stuff. I'm just kind of like blah towards God. I'm just kind of like, I don't know if it matters. And so I'm just going to live lukewarm. Part of it's bad theology. We've just acquired things about God that aren't true. We've been taught things about God that aren't true, about his nature, about his character, about how he works. And we've got to let that stuff go. We've got to just open ourselves up again to a new way. New wine, new wineskins, busyness. Jesus talks about most people who miss the kingdom. They're like, hey, I've got a funeral to go to. I've got a business deal going through. They're not bad. They're just busy. They don't have time to be with him. And that was his first call. He's like, come, I, I, I called you that you might be with me. And it's fascinating to me that God has created now, the way you are with Jesus is through the church. He's like, come be with me together. <laughs> right? And what we've seen is this renewed desire to be with the body of Christ. To be here more together worshiping because life's too hard to live it without what God promised us. You have unbelief, which is like, I just don't know. I don't believe. You have respectability, which is a big one. Uh, that's a big one for me, right? This respectability. When I was in my 20s, I just wanted to be... Um, I wanted people to respect me, people in the world. In my 40s, I want God to respect me. <laughs> like, I want, to be a, I want to be a big deal to God. And I want to live in such a way, right? Uh, Paul, they are, uh, in the book of Acts, they confront this magician who tries to buy the Holy Spirit. And these, these demons show up and they're like, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? And I was like, oh, I want to have a reputation in the spiritual realm. <laughs> in the heavenlies, not just in the world. Because guess what? Your reputation in this world will die and it will never get resurrected. When you go to heaven someday, it's not going to say, great, great job. You made so much money. That's awesome. And they're going to talk about that further. No, no, no. You loved me with your whole heart. You persevered through fear and pain and sickness and death. This is one of mine, right? Then you have just fear, like what's going to happen? Control, right? So how do we grow in power? If that's what's blocking, how do we grow? I love this acrostic from our friend John Tyson. He says, authority plus gifting plus faith plus consecration equals power. All right? So we grow in our authority, our identity in Christ, what he's given us. We receive our gifts from him. We, we receive these gifts. We have faith to exercise them. And then we set apart our life, our time, our money, our affection. We give him more of ourselves. That's what consecration means. It just means to make things holy, to set them apart in our life. And guess what starts to happen? You start to receive power. And so I think there's this misunderstanding that somehow God has given great gifts to some and little gifts to others. And really what he's given is he's given great desires to some. Or sorry, uh, I'm going to reword that. He has uh, 
He's seen the desire of some for him that are so great that he pours out on their life. So I've I've been saying this in our prayer room lately. It's basically like God's like, how much gap in your life do you want to give me? Because whatever gap you give me, I will fill. If you want 10% of your life fulfilled by me, I'll give you 10. If you want 50, if you want 90, whatever it is, what do you want? And the more you give him, the more room you give him, the more he meets you. So I want you to stand up. And we're going to spend some time just worshiping and praying into this. And um, I'm going to look at this slide and say, this is what we want to do. We want to renounce apathy, busyness, bad theology, unbelief, respectability, fear. And we want God to increase our authority, our gifting, our faith, our consecration our power. So I wonder if the Holy Spirit's already put his finger on one of those things to renounce in your life. What is it? Are you too busy? Are you struggling with unbelief? You're like, God, I prayed for a miracle in this situation and you didn't answer me and now I just don't believe in any of it. So there's many of us who have been there and God just wants to refresh your faith. He wants to give you new faith. Is it respectability? Are you like, I'm a businessman in this community and if somebody saw me waving a flag in worship, they would think I wasn't a serious guy. And I just think like, man, who cares what those people think? Your father in heaven, he loves you. He loves you and he loves when you come to him with a whole heart, with whole affection, with whole surrender. Um, so I want you to just close your eyes, bow your heads, take a moment. And I just want to pray us in. And so I just want, as we sing this song, just to do some business with the Holy Spirit, to say, Holy Spirit, what is it that is blocking maybe your power from flowing through my life? And then ask him to say, Holy Spirit, in what way do you want to increase me? And so we're just going to sing, and after a while, the prayer team's going to come down. And if you need prayer for either one of those sections, either to maybe renounce some things, to repent, to confess, to let go, or, or maybe you're really desperate for an increase today, I would just encourage you to come and be prayed for. But first, we just want to worship. And literally, the song we're singing is Make Room. We want to make room for the Holy Spirit right now to speak over these things. Spirit, we just invite you right now. We know that you ordained the church to be a place that is inhabited by you and to see your power in our midst. And even right now, we have the potential in this room, the possibility for miracles, for healing, for prophecy, for knowledge, for wisdom, for discernment, for tongues, for interpretation. All those things are possible right now. that before you. Right now, in this moment, every single thing we read about and talked about today is possible in this room right now. So Holy Spirit, what are you doing right now? Would you show us? The Bible says, if any of you have need, you should pray. (laughs) He's given us the body to pray with. So yeah, let's just embrace this moment and sing with faith and you might want to sit down you might want to come to the altar for a little bit in whatever way you want to encounter him we just want to say yes to and then um, when the prayer team comes up please come let us pray for you let us encourage you comfort you strengthen you